Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. We can see that Jacob, he was just kind of, you can just kind of see him there musing and in a state of wonder. He's thinking back, wow, that was God Almighty. That was the one who said to the fish and the, 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 the waters and the skies, you know, multiply, no, and so forth. He, he's, he appeared to me in Bethel. And when you read that, it just seems like he can't get over it. Jacob can't get over it. It was God Almighty who he saw. Joseph, who, by the way, was uh, we know this, he was always Jacob's favorite son. You could not change that. You could tell him. Anyway, even though on his deathbed, he saw that the divine Messiah was going to come, uh, it was not going to come through Joseph, but through Judah, it didn't change the fact that Joseph was Jacob's favorite. It's just the way it was. So on his deathbed, when Jacob is blessing his sons one by one, and when it's Joseph's turn, he comes around to Joseph to be blessed by Jacob, Jacob again shows this special honor to Joseph, just like he did when Jacob pulled out that coat of many colors and gave it to Joseph as a special honor. And we could just see that scene, you know, with all those brothers around, and, you know, they didn't really appreciate it, but nevertheless, Jacob is so happy, pulls out this coat of special colors to give just to Joseph. It's a special coat, only for Joseph, not for the other sons. Just like a repeat now on his deathbed of that scene. All the brothers are standing around, and Jacob pulls out this special name of God Almighty, and he uses that for the blessing of Joseph in Genesis 49, 25, Genesis 49, 25. And he says, even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the almighty Shaddai, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breast, blessings of the womb. It was such a special name that again, it was only for Joseph that he pulls out this name, not for the other sense. Now, since this was such a special name for God, and uniquely revealed to Jacob, here's the question. We get so used to saying, you know, to thinking to ourselves, you know, we, we, it, it just, it, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head, you know? We get so used to thinking of his words in Matthew eleven twenty nine. take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, find rest of your souls. We get so used to thinking, you know, of the crucifixion, in Matthew 27, 35, which, of course, we're going to focus on in the next service, and they crucified him, Matthew 27, 35. They crucified him, parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled. That we forget that he has a very special name, a powerful name 
in verse 11, and God said unto him, I am God Almighty. I mean, ask yourself the question, as I have, when was the last time you called on the Lord Jesus Christ as God Almighty? I mean, have you ever been in trouble and prayed to the Lord Jesus Christ as God Almighty? You ever prayed for someone and, 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 and called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as God Almighty to help that person? Names are so very important because they identify the person. And when you look at these verses, look at these verses as, they come, as they're together, verses 10 and 11, what we're sitting here. Look at them, verses 10 and 11. How many names do you see in those two verses? What's the first name you see? Jacob, okay, verse 10. Thy name is Jacob. What's the second name? Israel, verse 10. Israel shall be thy name. What's the third name? That's it. <laughs> We've been talking about it for so long. <laughs> okay, I am God Almighty, verse 11. You know what? Those are important names. If we know those three names, we will lead a victorious life. What do I mean by that? Thy name is Jacob. Our name is Jacob. Jacob is the deceitful one. He deceived his father. If we know that our name is Jacob, then we will know that we are described in Jeremiah 17.9. Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's Jacob and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If we do not know that, then we do not know that we are dirty, rotten sinners. And if we do not know that we are a dirty, rotten sinner, then we cannot come to God. Why? Because the sign outside of God's door says, dirty, rotten sinners, welcome. Come in here. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he said in Matthew 2, Mark 2, 7, Mark 2, 17, Mark 2, 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, they that are whole have no need of the physician. Don't even bother coming. No, he didn't say that, sorry. They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Dirty, rotten sinners are not whole. (laughs) They are sick. They need a physician. It's been amazing for Scott and I to be at the Del Mar Fair and to see this same response from people. You know, I call out to the passerbys, you know, for their kids. Hey, come into the castle here for a Bible story. And you know what most of their time, most of the time their response is? No, thanks. We're good. (laughs) And we look at each other and we say, wait, there's none good. How can that be? There's none good. Psalm 14.3. They are all gone aside. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That word filthy could be dirty, you know, as in dirty, rotten. Not just sinner, dirty, rotten sinner. That's why the lost don't let their kids come into the castle, to the CEF castle for a Bible story. Oh, there was one parent. He was, she was really funny. There was one parent... I invited her kids to come and she goes, oh, yes, take all my kids to the castle. They really need the Bible. <laughs> she knew they were sinners. <laughs> but the reason the lost today do not come to the Lord Jesus Christ today is because they don't know verse 10. Thy name is Jacob. They don't know that. Thy name is Jacob. They don't know their name is Jacob. They're not willing to admit they're a dirty, rotten sinner. They think they're pretty good. You know, when the summer blitzers are out knocking on their million doors, their million door campaign this summer, they're like the Lord Jesus Christ And from Mark 2.17. They're coming not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, dirty, rotten sinners. I just appreciated so much on Friday night when Andrea 
was just was talking about you know we can have all these intellectual conversations with all these people with all the people he does in Italy, but until he gets to talking to the heart and really addressing heart issues, doesn't matter. And the most telling thing he said was said when he would be with those who are arguing with him, he said he said okay, so if I can answer, remember when he said this? So if I can answer every one of your intellectual problems, will you then become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you then become a Christian? They said no. Okay, well, what are we doing, right? So the summer blitzers are calling out to those who accept Genesis 35.10 and agree with, yeah, my name is Jacob. It's so easy for us to no longer even see ourselves as sinners. It's so easy. We still have a sinful nature. That's what presses us. It should press us to constantly to the Lord. So it's an important name. We need to know in verse 10, thy name is, is Jacob. Then there's a second name we need to know. It's depressing to only know your name's Jacob. So there's a second name. Israel should be thy name. That's a name that's best, that was bestowed on Jacob, and it made him a prince, a son, a prince. And when we look at the meaning of Israel as prince with God, and we see that at the heart of that name of Israel is the concept of being an adopted prince, adopted son of God. When we received the Lord Jesus Christ, that was the issue. Something wonderful happened to us. We became, we got the authority to be called the sons of God from John 1.12. But as many as received him to them, gave he the power or the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, with sonship comes the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption. We gain the spirit of adoption, which is described in Romans 8.15. Romans 8.15 says, ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, like a servant, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. See, what we see in this in that verse is that the spirit of adoption is a crying spirit. The crying spirit cries out, Abba, Father. You know, this is what I, I love to see Ed and Donna on Friday night, Devorah, you know, Abba, Abba. <laughs> so she didn't, wasn't coming to say, Abba, Abba, how are you? No, it was like, Abba, Abba, I want something, right? <laughs> and also, you know, to Donna, I, always kids, you know, they don't cry to, they cry because they want something. Okay, why does it cry? Why does a child cry? Because the child wants something. That's the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption that captured, it's captured in the meaning of the name of Israel. The essential meaning behind the name Israel is an adopted son who cries to his father. The essential meaning behind the name of Israel is prayer. It's a person who is crying out to God like a child. We cling to the name of Jacob because it presses us to God. It shows us our great need, our poverty. It drives us to God. We cling to the name of Israel because as we cling to the name of Israel, we see ourselves as adopted sons and we, we go to God and we, we pray. So those are two important names that we cling to, Jacob and Israel, that describe us as believers. But then there comes the next name, the great name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am God Almighty. That's the greatest name that we cling to. It's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We call on him as God Almighty. Our trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ as God Almighty. Our hope is based on the Lord Jesus Christ as God Almighty. So these are three names we cling to. Names we cling to for Jacob and Israel, our need and our position 
with God. Name we cling to for God, for the Lord Jesus Christ is God Almighty. Now, verse 12. You didn't think we are making any progress in this chapter? <laughs> we're on to verse 12 now. All right, verse 12. We see God promises the land to Jacob, and the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. Okay. Now, we know that God had already promised this land to Abraham, as we said, about 200 years earlier, and he really did that right off the bat in Genesis 12, after he called Abraham, it says, the Lord appeared unto Abraham, Genesis 12, 7, the Lord appeared unto Abraham, said unto him, unto thy seed, and I give this land, and there building he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And then he said, and repeated it, in Genesis 13, 5, 15, Genesis 13, 15, for all the land which thou seest to thee, will I give it into thy seed forever. Now notice he said, to thee will I give it, okay? So God promises this land to, to Abraham. About, and then God promised the land to Isaac about 100 years before in Genesis 26, 3 and 4. He said, sojourn in this land, I will be with thee, will bless thee. Unto thee and unto thy seed will I give all these countries. I'll perform the earth, which I swear unto Abraham thy father. I'll make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven and uh, thy seed shall be all, all the nations of the earth be blessed. Okay, so here we have God promising the land to Abraham, then to Abraham and to his seed, but to Abraham he promised the land. And then he promised the land to Isaac, and now he's promising the land to Jacob. All right, so here's the question. Did Abraham receive the land in his lifetime? No, okay. Did Isaac receive the land in his lifetime? No. Did Jacob receive the land in his lifetime? No, okay. Did God make any indication to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob that they would not receive the land in their lifetime? You said, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the land. I'm going to give you the land. That's what he said. He said, oh, but you got to He didn't say that. So could God have given the land to Abraham in his lifetime after he had promised it to Abraham? Could God have given the land to Isaac in his lifetime after he promised Isaac and so forth and the same with Jacob? Yes, of course he could have, right? But he didn't. He didn't give the land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in their lifetimes after he promised to them that he would give the land. And there was no indication from God that it was not going to be, the land was not going to be transferred to them in their lifetime. Isn't that interesting? That's interesting. God promises the land to Abraham. Abraham expects to receive the land in his lifetime on earth. Abraham dies without receiving the land. Same thing happens with Isaac. Same thing happens with Jacob. Why? Why has God not indicated to them that they would not receive the land in their lifetime on earth? I mean, what's up? (laughs) Because this is all about an exercise of faith. It's all about an exercise. Faith believes God and operates in the light of what God has promised Abraham died in that condition. He died not having received the fulfillment of the promise of the land, but he saw it. He saw the fulfillment of it afar off. It changed his life. Isaac died in that state. He died in faith, not having received the fulfillment of the promise of the land, but he saw it afar off, changed his life. Jacob, the same thing. See, for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're all described 
In this verse in Hebrews 11.13, in Hebrews 11.13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. If promises from God were instantly fulfilled, where does faith come in? What, what, what do you need faith for? God said it, oh, next minute, zap, the genie. You know, it happens. Do we have promises? Do we have promises that we've not received the fulfillment of yet? Yes, we do. Like James 5.8, be ye patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. See, when Jacob heard this promise from God in verse 12, it didn't look like it didn't look like it. I'm going to get this land. Are you kidding? I'm 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 afraid for my life. I'm afraid the inhabitants here are going to kill me for what what my family did in Shechem. It didn't appear to Jacob that he was going to receive this land, but he had the promise from God that he's going to give him the land. Faith believes God's promises when it appears that God's promises will not be fulfilled. That's faith. Faith embraces God's promises and defies appearance. And so apart from the land, apart from the land, let's put the land aside a little bit. Was there another promise that God made to Abraham that didn't appear that it was going to be fulfilled? I mean, there was two parts of the promise of God, right? One was the land, and what was the other part? The sun, Abraham's seed, sand of the sea, stars like the sky. I mean, how many children did Abraham and Sarah have when God made that promise to them? They didn't have any. They had none. But from the time that God made that promise to Abraham, about how long was it before Abraham and Sarah had a child? It was 30 years. It was 30 years. Genesis 11 and 12 tells us that Abraham was 70 years old when God promised he would have children. Genesis 21 tells us he was 100 years old when he had the baby with, uh, with Sarah. That was a long 30 years. That's a really long 30 years. All he's got is a promise, no children, state of continual infertility, right? And then after those 30 years, finally, Abraham and Sarah have just one boy. He just have, Abraham and Sarah have just one, there's one boy. He's not a strong boy. They're not like his half-brother Ishmael. You know, who is this Isaac? He's a mama's boy. He's named Laughter. You know, he, he hangs around the kitchen. And then when he gets married, he just has one wife, just only one wife and no concubines. How sad. <laughs> So with Abraham and Sarah just having one boy, it certainly does not appear that a great number of people are going to come from Abraham and, and Sarah. It doesn't appear a great nations is on its way. But look what came from Abraham. Look what came from Abraham and Sarah's only boy. Millions of Jewish people didn't appear that was going to happen from Abraham and, and Sarah's boy. But faith embraces God's promises and defies appearance. And what God promised would happen from Abraham and Sarah and what it appeared would happen from Abraham and Sarah is so important that God told the Jewish people, look at it, consider it, don't let it pass from your sight. Because he said in Isaiah 51.2, Isaiah 51.2, look unto Abraham your father and unto Sarah that bear you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. That's a command from God that he gave to the Jewish people. The command is, look at your father Abraham. Look at your mother that bare, that gave birth to you. And we can hear the, the Jewish people said, 
okay, what am I supposed to look at when I look at, when I look at my father Abraham and Sarah who bear in me? And God would say, okay, take three looks. You know, first, look at how their situation appeared. And then look at the promise that they had from me. And then look at what happened. See, he was 70 years old and so forth. Now, he gave this promise. They were infertile. And after 30 years, when Abraham was 100 years old, and Sarah, they have this child. And again, it was like, really, God, are you kidding? This is the beginning of the great Jewish nation. How is it possible? It's possible because they had the promise of God. And they had faith in the promise of God. Faith embraces the promise of God. It defies appearance. It was possible because Abraham embraced the promise of God. He defied appearance. He staggered not in unbelief. Things like that. Anyway, the fact that Abraham embraced these promises and died, not having received the film of those promises, but allowed the promises to persuade his life, it set a pattern of faith. It was a pattern of life. That was Abraham's pattern of faith that God wants the Jewish people to follow. That was Abraham's pattern of faith that God wanted Isaac to follow and Isaac to follow, and they did. They were going to have this land, but they never received the land. That was Abraham's pattern of faith that God wants us to follow when we have the promises of the Lord's coming. And we don't see his coming. We see it afar off, but then James says, be patient, establish your heart. It's coming, it's coming. That was 2,000 years ago. We look at the promise of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we see it like Abraham saw the land that he was going to be, and the seed that was going to make a great nation. Like right at hand, right in front. I can see it. It's drawing nigh. James saw this, and it's drawing nigh. Isaiah had the promise of the great judgment 2,500 years ago. But he saw that promise when he had his right at hand, and it caused him to howl. It says in Isaiah 13.6, Isaiah 13.6, How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Joel, he had the promise of the great judgment, and he saw it, it was almost 3,000 years ago that he saw it, and it caused him to sound an alarm, sound an alarm in Israel as he wrote in Joel 2.1, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh. It is nigh at hand. So when we look at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, it should cause us to realize all the more, you know, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We got to do something. See, in 2 Peter 3, 9, that's why he brings it up. He said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Well, what, what promise of his return? Some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, some look at the delay of the Lord's coming and say, well, it's never going to come back. They're totally indifferent. But we don't see it that way. We say, you know, no, no, that's God's reluctance. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He's holding that door open for the last call. Last call's been going on for a long, long time because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to be saved. He wants everybody to come to repentance before it's too late. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that we can see as the pattern in our lives. Thank you that you've shown to us that you are God Almighty. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that we are Jacob, we are Israel, and you are God Almighty. Help us this week, Lord, to rely on these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Christmas is here. Join Tom Cantor at the annual Christmas Under the Stars Free Family Festival Christian Event on Saturday, December 10th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Creation Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Games, rides, petting zoos, family photos, live Christmas music, and a live nativity, holiday food and drinks, a star viewing, and a Christmas light show, and so much more. This year, bring a toy to support Operation Save Christmas, a benefit to help support the hundreds of homeless children in San Diego out on the streets. So join Tom Cantor for this free family festival Christian event, Christmas Under the Stars, on Saturday, December 10th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Creation Earth History Museum in Santee. And bring the family and friends for rides, games, animals, music, a live nativity, and so much more. And don't forget to bring that gift for a homeless child. To learn more about Christmas Under the Stars and Operation Save Christmas, call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or go online to creationsd.org. creationsd.org.